0: Ron Crager is a fervent believer in saying yes to all opportunities presented to him. Sometimes prepared and sometimes not, it is this cavalier attitude that has allowed him to wear many hats and travel the world extensively as a solo pianist, accompanist, musical director and performer. Krager's talents extend to the composition of several musicals, Carefully Might Hear You, Amy and When the Bow Breaks, to name but a few. His specialty compositions have contributed to shows like Madonna and Child, in which he toured nationally with Tony's Lamond and Sheldon. A chance meeting in Los Angeles with the legendary Australian performer Tony Lamond Le led Crager in becoming her regular musical director and accompanist, a role that brought him to Australia. As a ranger and accompanist, he has also worked with an array of mighty talent, including Helen Reddy, Tim Draxel, Tina C, Derek Metzger, Simon Burke, Jeannie Little, Paul Capsis and Kerry Bedell. The role as accompanist is so crucial to the singer that the two performers must merge as one in a relationship where each must navigate a song in sync. It's a role where Crager has been lauded as one of the best. Originally from Kentucky, Craiger was raised on church music, giving him an extensive knowledge of the gospel repertoire and roles as organist and choir director for several churches. Ron was recently back in Australia and we managed a long overdue catch-up. He discusses the role of accompanist and talks us through a few of his compositions, providing us with access to the music and the awesome vocalists that have performed the material. It's a Musical Treat Stages was thrilled to feature. Now, a lot of your career has happened through your great belief of just saying yes, whether you're prepared or not. It's something to probably be Probably not to be embracing every opportunity presented. <laughs> um, Helen Reddy once said, do you, do you want to go to Poland? Tell me about that.
1: Um, well, it was one afternoon and I got a phone call and it was Helen and she's, that was exactly all. she didn't say hello or anything. She Want to go to Poland? Sure. She said, Pack a bag, get here now. And it turns out that um, Shaka Khan had backed out of the Soapot Festival in Poland. And we had one day to get there. And I had never done her show. And why she chose me, I guess I was the last on the list that she had called. (laughs) First one to say yes. Anyway, um, so she slept on the plane all the way there. And I had the charts on my lap trying to figure out how I was going to do it. And um, we got there, and she was tired, so she blew off the... We went straight to the theater. She blew off the sound check. So I don't know. It was So we were left with karaoke music, with no lead, with a Polish band, me on an electronic piano that I had never seen before, didn't know how to do it, and um, no one spoke English. So it was a nightmare. Um sort of got through it and then she showed up for the show and since we were the closing act for the whole festival the entire audience started streaming out as soon as they found out that shaka khan wasn't coming and um it's probably the most nervous i've ever been playing and there is a recording of it that they gave me when when we left and i still haven't had the courage to watch it i mean it's a video Yep. um But anyway, we got through it, and the next day they bumped us from our flight. So here we were stuck in Gdańsk, Poland, and um, finally got home. But anyway, yeah, that—that's my Poland story.
0: Well, someone was thinking outside the circle, obviously, to replace Chuckle Carby. Well, well, yeah, yeah,
1: (laughs) she probably was the first one too that said yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) There was a whole theme trip list.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, how do you know Helen Reddy? What's the connection? Through, Helen, there? through Tony. Tony Lamont, her sister. I met Tony um, within a f- few weeks of moving to Los Angeles. She had met Franklin Lacey, who co-wrote Music Man with Meredith Wilson, when he came with his wi- His wife was Australian. And they were here, and they happened to see her on TV, or somehow they met here in Australia, and he, he said the fateful thing, of, if you ever come to L.A., give me a call. Well... She did, and she moved to L.A., and she gave him a call. And that's... I was one of the musical uh, accompanists for a new show that he had written called Don't Hate Money, playing in Hollywood. So she came to opening night, and afterwards he invited Tony and myself and a few others back for for coffee after the show and discovered that Tony was there to write. That's what she was intending to do. And so... met the next morning at Franklin's house. We had a wonderful piano, and we wrote a song. And eventually that song was used on, God, Mike, Mike Douglas, which was a a talk show in the States at the time, like Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas and... Jack Parr. All that, yeah. So it performed it on that show, because Helen was the co-host. Mike always had a co-host every week, Um, and Helen was the co-host, and so she invited Tony to, to do the number. I think there might be a recording of it somewhere, but I don't have it. And it was... Yeah, there you have it.
0: So you are in Los Angeles. You, you didn't grow up in Los Angeles. You, you I was actually born there. in
1: California. Yeah. Um, but kind of segues to my family. My grandfather was a minister. And when he would... Anyway, he took a church in Kentucky. My mom... He'd always used my mom as his soloist. He had a radio show that, from the time that she was very young, and um, it was in like twenty-five countries or something like that.
0: Well, I, I guess early
1: the early radio too, um, church shows, right?
0: Theme shows are very popular.
1: Yeah, and this wasn't really church oriented. It was more right. inspirational, okay. and yeah. um, he would do poetry and music and that kind of thing. Um, and mom had always been the soloist for it, and her sister was the organist. So, when he took the church in Louisville, the whole family moved to Louisville. And so he had the church. My aunt was the organist. Her husband was the assistant pastor. And mom was the choir director, musical director, and, and soloist. And so that's where, from the time I was two, we lived in Louisville, Kentucky. And I went, I stayed in Kentucky until. College after college, I moved back to L.A. because it still had a lot of family that lived in L.A. and Kentucky wasn't my favorite place to begin with, so um, there you have it. So, so
0: growing up, I guess it was surrounded by all of that. Uh, the, the church. Oh, it was all things. church, yeah, all
1: yeah. church all the time.
0: So you, you you were learning instruments, I guess.
1: Well, luckily, my aunt um, was giving me piano lessons and eventually organ lessons, and. She's the one that taught me to play by ear. She she started out by just saying, by next week, be able to play the melody starting on any, she'd give me like three notes to start on D, F sharp, and B, and be able to play the melody of of a song. And then after that, when I could play the melody, then she would taught me the chord, the circle of fourths and fifths. So I started learning theory without even really realizing that it was theory. I, I could hear it, but I didn't necessarily have any words for it. So when I went to college, they finally gave me the vocabulary to be able to talk about what I already could hear and knew knew to do. But it's through her that I was able to to play.
0: It sounds like it was a family
1: business. Was there an expectation oh, was, that you oh, would go into family for Jesus? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> well, yeah. From the time I was twelve, I was playing for church, and um, finally. I think I was about the third year college, second year college. I found out that other churches actually paid the organists, <laughs> and um, it came down to I mean, because I was there Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday for choir rehearsal, and other any other time the doors were open. And um, it was one Christmas, and they the ch- the church did this big production of of handing out. Presence to all the people that had worked in the church and I wasn't even mentioned and I kind of got pissed off and um thought wait a minute why am I doing this because they also had a seven o'clock tv show every Sunday morning so I was up at dawn's crack to, to play for that as well and then play for church after that and then Sunday night service so I was at university and taking organ and I found out that a church was looking for an organist and they paid. So I told my church goodbye and there you have it. You were seduced by the dollar. I was
0: seduced. Um, so, Sue, so did you have much of an exposure to other genres of music growing up? Or was it a lot of was, was only it were, music? Only if it was on TV. I, I suppose being close to Nashville, maybe country music? or
1: mm, Well... In Kentucky, uh, there's certainly a lot of country music, and I never took to it. Um, As far as any other... Well, we had the night night TV shows, so they'd always have a guest on, so we'd hear hear that. And um, Mary Martin's Peter Pan would be on, so I would hear that music. But no, it was absolutely... Well, you must have, because
0: your exposure to, especially, you know, the American songbook, et cetera, is vast. So there must Now it been, is. Yeah, a lot of... Uh... Well, no, I
1: take that back. Mom, um, she grew up in Los Angeles, and when Grandpa would go on a tour for, um, evangelistic tour or something, she snuck away to the studios, to MGM, and took, a, took a, a test, and they offered her a job. But Grandpa wouldn't let her do it because... It was of the devil, Hollywood. So she always had, she, like whatever was on the radio. She, if it was something that she could sing, she loved to do it. But that would have been the only exposure. Anything that was on the radio or, the, or TV.
0: Let's have a listen to it. This is uh, Barbara Craig, your mum. Yes. With Holy Ground.
1: Okay.
2: As I walked through the door, I felt his presence. And I knew this was the place where love abounds. For this is the temple Jehovah God abides here. standing in His presence on holy ground. We are standing Joy beyond all measure And at his feet Peace of mind can still be found If you have a need I know he has the answer Reach out Standing on holy ground, we are standing on holy. On holy ground
1: She has an extraordinary voice. Oh, well, she was 62, I think, when she re- recorded. It's on YouTube. Right. So, yes, that's right. You can see so, it. So, um, yeah, she had a beautiful voice. And she and I, I don't know, probably did five or six religious albums and um, she was commissioned by something for children. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Anyway, they would give a list of the songs that they would like her to sing, and so we sang them and, and recorded them. But we would do it in one night. We'd go to the studio and record during the day, mix that night, and leave the next day. So there wasn't a lot of production value, and it was just just her and me. Was she a, a concert performer, or was, was this all no, a just, lot of recordings? Just, yeah. um, just a lot of recordings. And there were, there are. I don't know how many recordings from my grandfather's radio show because it lasted for probably twenty years, every week. So there's a vast amount of recording of her.
0: Imagine if MGM nabbed her. Ah. <laughs> what would she have done? Yes. What would
1: I have done? Yeah. <laughs> or would I've even happened?
0: Um, gospel music. I mean, it's quite. listening to that. Then it's 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 very haunting, isn't it? How, how would you
1: define well, gospel music? It's just about of ev- anything. Well, I think the basic... It's like, a Christian, Christian If it's, theme, theme, it's Christian music. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's every genre you can imagine, from country to... Especially in Kentucky, it usually means the really up-tempo, hand-clapping, um, praise Jesus kind of music, um, which my family never was much into. Um, Mom's stuff is more... Mm-hmm emotional yeah she always felt like she'd done a good job if everybody was crying at the end yeah and she usually was too so um i'm just music for jesus
0: have you retained any of that spirituality from growing up you're a spiritual person now
1: i consider myself a very spiritual person i don't consider myself a religious person at all there's a difference here and um no in fact it was so forced on us Growing up, that I kind of rebelled and was amazed that you could do something on Sunday other than go to church.
0: So, it was uh, to be a profession to embrace in a profession was it musicianship that you always wanted, or what, oh. what other career options were in Little uh, Ron Craig's uh, uh, head? Uh,
1: uh, 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 I don't know. I, I guess it was always music. It was. All, it was going to have to be music somehow. The so first time that I ever had a job actually playing um, was in college, and it turned out that the local Holiday Inn at the Beef Eater room were looking for a, a keyboardist, and I hadn't ever done it. But I thought, what have I got to lose? Just say yes. And um, that's how it started. And when people would request songs, if I didn't know it, I made sure I knew it by the next day. And that's just how I started building a repertoire.
0: What did your parents think of a... A child who was uh, exploring different kinds of music and, and
1: well by that time I was I was an adult yeah. at least so they were less than thrilled a mom was less than thrilled dad didn't really care he was actually was in med school at the time oh
0: so was dad a, a doctor or now he is yeah
1: yeah um at, he started out as a carpenter and then sold insurance and then decided to become a doctor because he was originally going to do missionary work um, and graduated from med school when he was forty, and then found out that there was so much need right in Kentucky that he could pay off all of his medical loans by working in underprivileged areas. So that's how he he did it.
0: So what was uh, arriving in Los Angeles like?
1: Bright lights, big city. Well, thank Hollywood. goodness I had lots of um, family there, um, but I must admit I was really agog at at all of it and certainly not prepared and scared and um but having met franklin Lacey and then tony introducing me to to helen i was certainly on the on the outskirts of it all but at least it was i saw that there might be some hope
0: was that the first time that you'd
1: worked as an accompanist other than With mom not oh, just your mother yeah and, yeah, and i can't tell you i the there's no comparison between what Mom does and what Lamont does. And I remember the first thing that she was, she was doing auditions, so that's what I was playing for, was for her auditions. And um, it was either Tommy Tico or I think it was Tommy Tico had done this arrangement of some people. It's a, it's a mash-up of two different songs, and I don't even know what the second song was, and it was just a chart. And I had never played off charts before, but I finally just plugged away and learned how to do it enough to at least where she could do the audition. And that was the start. Um, and she, of course, then introduced me to a world of music that I'd never never known.
0: And so, the learning began.
1: And the learning began. What are the skills that you need to be an effective accompanist? Listen. Yeah. I see... I... I and breathe with the singer i i've always amazed at people who are accompanying and they've got their head in the music and they just plow ahead almost like karaoke never taking into account what what the singer's wanting to do and invariably they play too loud so the singer has to try to sing over it anyway that's my interpretation, anyway. I I usually try to know the music well enough that I watch the person singing. I breathe when they breathe, so I know how long the next phrase is going to be. Um, I just try to stay out of their way and support.
0: Uh, you moved to Australia eventually with Lamont. I did, and
1: well, in '85. She, uh, she, Tony Sheldon, wrote a show for Lamond and me and himself called um, Madonna and Child. And so we did that at the Broadway. And that was my first trip to Australia. And then the next year, New Moon up in Queensland booked us for a four-city tour. And that was my second trip. Um, But Lamond was still living in L.A. during all of this time. And eventually, when she did move back, Luckily for me, she, we had worked up enough material in L.A. and done several shows that, and I never write the music out. Why should I bother if I'm going to, I just would scratch enough stuff to where I could play it. But it meant that nobody else could play her songs. Um, so she sponsored me out to Australia, I think it was about 90, 94, 95, something like that, I don't know.
0: Because, as well as an accomplished stage performer, she is probably one of the,
1: the country's leading cabaret artists, too. So right. And we. You're an essential addition. I had never obviously worked in any cabaret, but she hadn't done much either. And um, cabaret was sort of taking off in LA. And so we just put our heads together and started coming up with. In fact, I told her, I said, why don't you do an act? She said, oh, I, don't, I couldn't do an act. And I said, of all the stories that you tell at dinners, and I said, there's your act. And so she, the light bulb went on, and, and so between us, we, I, I remembered stories that she had told, and I said, we can put this in, let's put this in, and, and we just started developing it, and eventually came up with several acts. And then um, when I came to Australia, we were able to, to do them.
0: And you work with a whole host of other performers, like Tim Draxel and Genevieve Lemon and Tennessee as musical director I and arranger, did. orchestrator. Uh, more
1: yeses, more <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh,
0: tell me about the collaboration
1: or the collaborative experience in putting a show together. How do you put a show together like that? I'm still trying to figure it out myself. <laughs> uh, luckily, the people that I've played for for instance, Genevieve, I mean, she already had an idea of what she wanted to do, or, or Simon Burke or any of those people. Um, I would maybe make some suggestions or they would do their, their pattern and I'd maybe come up with a better punchline or something like that or think, well, this needs to be explained. But um, they were usually mostly the, the impetus for, for the shows. How long would it take to put a show together? and rehearse it and get it ready for um, Oh, no. probably a month. Yeah. Of something sort like of that. fairly regular solo yeah. rehearsal. Well, the would say I want to do this song and I want to do that blah, blah, blah. and I'd have to just go learn them yeah. and knowing her range, I would figure out a key that was comfortable for me that was close enough to for her as well. And then we'd get back together and just run them and figure out top and tail what's going to be the intro, what's going to be my cue to start playing, that kind of thing.
0: Um, you've also had a career where you've been able to support yourself as a solo pianist in hotels and cruises and international festivals, etc. Is it is it lonely being a, a pianist in in those sort of situations?
1: Well, I... Because you're not accompanying yeah, anyone, no, you're I'm not, not working com- with other musicians? No, you're just musical wallpaper. Yeah. Um, and they're paying you to play. They're not necessarily paying you to be appreciated. Um, but luckily through, I had a, the opportunity to play in some really fine hotels in Beverly Hills and, and for many four seasons and, and the Beverly Wilshire and, and, um, through playing there, I got other gigs too. I've got to play for all the Neiman Marcus evenings. Um, their launches, etc. Well, I'm. I was. I guess there were benefits because um, they had a Bob Mackie runway show yeah. bef- before dinner, and then everybody went down the escalator to the second level, which had been cleared out except for and tables put up and everything. And um, they asked me to play for dinner. Oh, I was. a I look at. There was Henry Mancini, Nancy Sinatra. Um, I can't remember her mom's name, Barbara Sinatra? Yeah. Um, this host of people um, that I recognized from, I mean, I did it. I mean, and again, I was just wallpaper, but I did, the first thing I did when I saw Henry Mancini, I, I played um, Two for the Road, and he gave me a thumbs up. So I guess I did okay. That's not bad. No. Being acknowledged by the composer. Yeah, that made me made me
0: feel good. <laughs> so so your repertoire would be quite extensive now. What's what's the most bizarre thing that you've been asked to play? Can you remember? Ralph Harris. <laughs> <laughs> I admit it was pretty <laughs> bizarre for, for the listener. Uh, Ron and I actually did a cabaret show some God, that must be nearly twenty years ago now.
1: Oh at least.
0: Right. It was called Chalk and Cheese, An Evening of I couldn't have remembered that part, no. Well, why would you? <laughs> um, an evening of Rolf Harris, repertoire, and Marlena Dietrich in the
1: segment. Yes. Well now I had done Jeannie Little played for Jeannie Little, who did the Marlena show.
0: Great, great. I love that segue. Get us mm-hmm. off that topic and, <laughs> and to the next. Um,
1: she uh, enjoyed incredible success with that. Her Marlena. She did. Um I was still I was living in back in the states at the time and she was coming out to do the plush room and at, at no the Venetian room uh, in San Francisco and asked me to play player for it so she had sent me a tape and we probably had one run through she sent me a tape of her having done it here and I learned all the songs and met her in San Francisco and we did a a, a bit of the show it was it was a, wasn't a, a, a contest or anything, but it was. Everybody got up and did like three numbers, and it was a whole host of people for the whole weekend. And then she got asked to do it in Denver, at the Brown Hotel, where we did the whole act. Um, and that was the only two times I played for it, till I moved back to Australia, and we did it somewhere over in Darling Harbour for some convention or something like that. Um. So that's how I learned all those Marlena songs. I would have never had any reason to to learn them otherwise. Of course, no one's asked for them since, but they're it, there. But they they're there.
0: The... Uh, you've also written several musicals as a composer I and have. specialty numbers, etc. I want to sort of get into talking about the various shows you've written, and we'll play some of the terrific music, which uh, is available, I must say, very generously through your website. Yes,
1: roncrager.com, roncrager.com. Um, where C R E A G E R, creator <laughs> people <reverse>. are C R Eager. <laughs>
0: um, where I mean, it's lovely that you, you provide an opportunity for us to download some terrific piano music, which you thank you of, of standards that um we all know, but also to listen to, to the great musical numbers that you've written for, for various shows, which we'll talk about now. Okay, um, leading into that. To borrow a line from Stephen, sometimes merrily we roll along. A TV interviewer is interviewing the lyricist Charlie Kringas about writing, and he asks, Mm -hmm. So, what comes first, the words
1: or Uh, the music? How do you like to work? Well, the first musical that I wrote was based on the work that I was doing with a drama therapy group in Orange County called Stopgap. And they did drama therapy in all sorts of situations within the senior citizen centers, Alzheimer's centers, Um, and twice or three times a week we went to the county shelter for abused and neglected children. And the way we worked it was we would go in with um, three by five cards and at the top it would say, if you knew what I was thinking, dot, 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 And so the kids would then, and they had absolute full reign to write anything they wanted. There were no counselors or anybody from the actual shelter. So we allowed them to, whatever they wanted to write. I would gather those cards up and go out to my car while the director put them through improvs of whatever subject we were dealing with that day. Out in the car, I would take a line of every person that had had written something and try to rhyme it and come up, so the words came first right um and then in my head, I would try to come up with a melody, so they would do their their scenes, and at the end of the session, I'd come back in and sing the song they'd written and um it was really really rewarding to see all the 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 bulbs go on oh that's mine i I said that you know. Um, and some of those songs, I guess, were almost inspired because we realized we had so much material that we eventually put kind of put the best of everything together and wrote the, the show when the Bow breaks, and did a small production of it that was successful. So then we went back and tweaked it a bit, and then Lamond starred in the, the re when we did it again.
0: Yeah, the revival. Well, we've got a we've got a um, recording here of her doing a number called "Daddy's
1: Girl," right? Which we'll listen to it out. Do you want to set that up for us? Um, in the show, Liz, who's the the lead, has never admitted to anyone that she is the the subject of abuse, right? Incest, in fact, and um, this is her confession. To the people that are with her, her manager and stuff, of why she 's having so much trouble on stage, there's a, in, when she was young, whenever there was a light coming, a flashlight, her father would use a flashlight right. to wake her in it, and so there was the, every trigger. Na- the trigger was her being on stage on oh, the, with the light, right, light, the spotlight. right. Yeah, yeah, and so um, she actually has a breakdown on stage, and the manager's trying to figure out what's going on. And she sings Daddy's Girl.
0: Oh, well, it's a very haunting piece. That's It is. fantastic.
1: I wish I had a better recording of it.
0: No, I think that's great. And it's wonderful to hear uh, Tony Lamond also.
1: <sighs> Tell me, who is Amy Simpler? Amy Simple McPherson was an evangelist in Los Angeles who was obviously very charismatic because she eventually, and she started what is now called the Four Square Church, but it was Angelus Temple was her church in Los Angeles, which was quite a theatrical production. There was a huge, long spiral staircase, uh, spiral staircase coming from the heavens down to the, to the platform, and she would descend that for her sermons, the music was amazing, and they had an orchestra, and um, she was quite a figure in the, in the 20s and 30s in Los Angeles, and, and I believe there were something like 10,000 people that came for her funeral. Um, there was a scandal. She disappeared for two, two weeks, something like that, or a month, something, and everyone assumed that she had died because the last time she, that she had been seen was she was walking into the ocean the pacific ocean well two months later whatever it is she walks out of the desert and um never explained where she said she'd been kidnapped but the i think the story is is that she really she had also had a radio program and and all of her services were were broadcast and evidently had a an affair with the man who was up in the sound booth but that's never been proven. There was actually a, a movie made with Betty Davis. Oh, I was going to
0: say it sounds like a
1: great fodder for mm, uh, the
0: movies. Or it was made for
1: TV. Yeah. Anyway, so we, my f- friend Tina Tessina, who I've written a lot of things with, um, came up with the idea that it would be great to do a, especially since gospel and, and it's really had a resurgence. So was a lot of the score gospel themed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, most mostly, um, and at the end of Act One is where Amy has gone through. I don't know how many tribulations and things, and it looks like everything's going to fold. And so she rallies herself and prays and prays and prays, and finally gets enough faith to to keep on going and she sings the song and you say i can which is performed by your mother here yet again Barbara. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, did,
0: and uh, mum wasn't in the production she's no it's, it's never obviously. been produced oh right okay so it's out there it's hanging yeah
1: yet to be produced
0: all right so here we go and you say i can featuring barbara crager <laughs>
2: It's grief and pain, and no one to share it. When I drop my burden in my troubled hour, then you call. tomorrow. So small with your mighty power above me, and I stand in awe, knowing I have sinned. Lord, this can't be mine, I can't take it in. And you say I can, and you heal my sorrow, and you hold my hand. And guide me toward tomorrow And my eyes are open I can see the way And I know I can For you're with me every day When my doubting heart Makes it hard to see show
3: Such a natural wit But the best thing about honey Was sweet honey's money So I told myself, self, this one's it But every trick in a book Couldn't get him to hook Made me want him so bad I could spit So I paid a position to be I don't aim to be legit Betty Davis as Jezebel gave us some southern hell, strutting her stuff and a-waving her fan and Rita's gild won one when she put the blame on Maine, well I'd do the same I'd frame a dame if it meant getting my man Watch out, boy, she'll get you
2: Her smile's just a boy to get you
3: Dracula's daughter, her blood was ice water All her boys ended up in the trash Their necks felt the strain She proved quite a drain The only drain her men, that poor girl needed more than a prayer she left seduction untried, so at the stake she got fried the only stake I'll ever take is medium rare
1: watch out boy she'll get you, she'll make you her toy, you bet you
3: Salome and her seven veins One of my saddest tales entails a Baptist boy that she later had scratched. Johnny spurned her in bed. She set off with his head, well, the only head. my point. Listen, honey, marry for money. And when you split, take every cent that he's worth. It's a crime to waste time, being meek and sublime. Blessed are the meek, while they blindly seek. We'll just see.
1: She's got bite. Watch her curve, she's quite a sight. Ironic.
3: Exotic.
1: Wow. She's
2: simply dysphonic.
0: And that second number was The Girl That Everybody Loves to Hate, performed by the great Helen Reddy. That was
1: from a show you wrote called Tangled Webs. Tangled Webs is a, musical, a 1960s musical soap opera. So it's very high camp. And um, not everybody gets the, uh, the chance to have Helen Reddy do their demo. But that's exactly what this was, and it was a wonderful treat to listen to that mm. as well. Yeah. So um, it's just bizarre, bizarre comedy fun yet to be produced. Um, hopefully, one day it might. I, I might even live to see it. We don't know. <laughs> I mean, that must be the
0: frustrating thing. You write, you spend. What up to maybe five years sometimes of your mm. life or longer
1: writing these pieces. Well, people then... ask me if I still write, and I said, "No, I'm still flogging what I've done, and I don't need to write another song to know that I can do it." Yeah. And um, maybe maybe that's not a right, very good attitude, but um, I've had enough produced that I know the thrill of, of being able to listen to something on the radio or. or, or see it on stage but I I just don't want to write anymore. I've got enough backlog already. That's why I've made everything available on, on the website just because I'd rather be heard than try to flog it. Tell me about Love Please Hurt Me Again. <laughs> well that's from Tangled Webs again. Yeah. Um, the character is Billy Darvon. She s- sings in the local bar. She's been in love with soap opera again. She's been in love with a, a person who has had a head trauma and all of a sudden thinks he's a drummer and a, and a biker, which is right up her alley and he's abusive to her and all of a sudden gets hit over the head and becomes his normal self again and doesn't even remember having known her and so she's bemoaning the fact that he's gone and his name is, was Blaze DeMarco Um, when he was the drummer. And later he just becomes Joey. Um, So she's drinking absolutely out of her mind and on drugs and sings the song Love, Please Hurt Me Again. And who's Sharon Murray? Because she's a terrific performer. A friend of mine from the time that, from Louisville as well, where I was growing up, and we met during a production of Man of La Mancha, she was a Spanish dancer and I was a muleteer. And um, she was 15 and we started doing a bit of cabaret. And then she went to New York and I went to Los Angeles. And then she eventually ended up in, on Broadway in Grind, which had a pretty good run. So she's on, is it IMDb? Yep. You can, you can check her out there. Here we go, Love
0: Please Hurt Me Again.
2: Win or lose. Pills and booze
4: are a girl's best friend, whether slightly or unsightly depressed. But can pills bring back your man? Well, they make you think you can forget your
5: troubles.
4: Lay them down. Oh, my life's in a haze Every thought I think Every drop I drink's for you How I miss those drunken bras Dried spaghetti on the walls Oh, love, please
5: hurt me again
4: My man plays Oh, my mind's in a daze It's all mass confusion Without a contusion or two Every bruise, dear, it's bizarre But it tells me, here ya are Oh, love, please hurt me again My dream's gone up in smoke It's all a joke my one, my sober priest making love to a bottle. Of gin. Life lost its passion play. The day you went away. So come back, let's have another bout. You're all I ever think about. Been used before, so tell me what's the crime? I still love you. What's the use? I've grown used to your abuse. Be careful, watch the spleen and tell me love. Come on, let's have a great time. I need to have my man around, grinding me right to the ground. Without him, life is one big laugh. More tender, another corral. I've got this melancholy feeling. Look, my wrists. A healing Love, 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 love Please hurt me
5: Again One more time
0: Uh, I I want to quote here. This is pretty impressive. Hal Prince, the great Broadway
1: director,
0: said, I've spent a lot of time in Australia and I kept wondering why an original Indigenous musical hadn't emerged. Carefully might hear you. Could be that one. I'd love to see how it fares because I think it's a worthy project adapted expertly from Sumner Locke Elliott's novel. Carefully might hear you, of course. Is it the only musical you wrote in Australia with an Australian collaborator? David Sale, we're talking That about. I remember. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that you started, that you finished. Yes. Um, and produced, actually, finally.
0: How exciting. I mean, it's a great story.
1: It is. Yeah. And um, I loved working with David. He, we did quite a bit of it with him in Australia and me in L.A., and we would do it. Remember fax machines? Oh, yes. <laughs> we did it wow. by fax. Yeah. Um, and then he came over to L.A. and stayed with me for a couple couple trips and we kind of finished the music, but it's all David's doing of of everything that How Prince wrote. He, it's brilliantly adapted and Sup um, Supra super, super. I'm trying to think of the the company in Canberra that that did it. Oh there right, was, so you had a,
0: perform, a production down there, right? Yeah, and yeah, Lamond
1: yeah. went down to do it. Um, so it was a pro am production, and it was thrilling to. To, to see it on stage. It was a nightmare for me. They had uh, someone in their, ca- in their company who was going to take my... listen to it, and I had done the piano part on MIDI on my computer, and he was going to orchestrate it. Well, he backed out two weeks before, or something like that. So I had a new laptop with a new music program that I'd never used. I had a new keyboard that I didn't know how to use. And so I just locked myself in my bedroom and sat on the bed and had every manual, the manual for the laptop, the manual <laughs> for the for the music program, and the manual for the keyboard, and managed to pull it together because there was not going to be any live music. It had to all be karaoke. Huh. So it was my first time to ever orchestrate something and... Um, play all the instruments. Play all the instruments. And I just about lost my mind, but it, I did it, as you do when you have to. How does
0: one adapt a novel uh, to transform it to a musical, give it a musical treatment? Well, how, that's how, all David's work. All right, I, so it's finding the moments where it sings. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: he's he's a master at, at that. Um, and I just would... would Get the lyrics and know where it came in the show, whether it should be fast, slow, happy, sad, and just went from there
0: we've got uh, the great Tony Lamond again performing a winter kind of summer right. do you want to set that up for us
1: um if you know carefully might hear you the um oh, i'm going to not remember the, the lila cat. she played lila yeah, aunt. Yep. and uh, um she has been raising P.S. since his mother had died, which was her sister. And Vanessa, who's been living in London, comes back to take over the custody of the ch- child. And so Lila is all of a sudden found, f- finds herself alone and really scared that she's never going to see P.S. again. And she's, in the kitchen cooking and fretting and sings Winter Kind of Summer.
6: It's just a bit of chuck steak I'll put it in a pie With gravy and some veggies We'll eat it by and by I know P.S. would like it I'll save a piece for him For when he comes home If he comes home I know P.S. would like it I'll save a piece for him If it turns out nice And it usually does George says I'm like ice And I am They tell me the beaches are buzzing, and down at the store, the peaches are tuppence a dozen. I bought 24. There's bushfires burning in the hills, so why these chills I'm feeling constantly? It's a winter kind of summer. sun is a merciless yellow up there in the sky the postman's too hot to say hello as he trudges by the temperature keeps rising but to me it's a surprising minus three it's a winter kind of summer for me The food's going off in the larders We pray for some rain The fruit is ripening on the vines But nothing shines upon my family tree It's a winter kind of summer for me It's raw Just like before thaw Just like I've lost my rhyme and my reason Mistaking the season The scarlet and pink bougainvillea Bewitches the beast tune that you think is familiar drifts by on the breeze. The birds are all a-twitter, but the sound I hear is bitter and off-key. It's a winter kind of summer for me.
0: You've written a heap of specialty music as well. Mm. well. Tell me about a couple of numbers which we'll listen to as well. First up, The Place
1: That I'll Call Home. Well, that was Lamond writing the lyrics. We were working on her album, um, Still a Gypsy, and she wanted to include an original song, and so she wrote those lyrics, and it was like the week that we were recording. So luckily, I can if I can hear it in my head, I can write the chart and. a... Taught of the Melody, and we went in and recorded it. And it's the only song on her album that I did not play. You'll have to look at the credits to see who the pianist, because I'll never come up with his name. Brilliant. Um, But since it was more of a jazz-type number, that's not my forte, and I I wanted it to sound right, so um, we got (laughs) so-and-so to do it.
6: future when all my wanderings done I'll have to think of setting down just like the evening sun I couldn't tell you when or where right now it's not too clear I know it must be somewhere near the friends that I hold dear I'll make my No grand estate, no humble hut, just somewhere in between, with simple joys, a slower pace away from glass and chrome. I'll recognize it when I see the place that I'll call home. A room to store my knickknacks, books and tapes and such, a hook where I can hang my phone to keep in touch, a candle burning on a shelf, a bathtub to unwind, a place to store my memories and leave the world behind. I'll make my own oasis where the air is fresh and clean, no grand estate, no humble hut, just somewhere. With simple joys A slower pace Away from glass and chrome I know it's waiting patiently The place that I'll call home Once I loved to travel While was not my style
0: She's a good performer, and look, she's still in great voice, Lamont. She is too. Yeah, so it's wonderful to have those recordings, which mm. uh, which uh, there are not a lot around that she's done. So, no. unless they're live recordings, which uh, right. you put onto the various CDs. Family
1: is yes. is the next specialty number that we'll listen to. Okay, I wrote that on a Greyhound bus. I had gone. My parents lived about four hours north of Los Angeles and I went home to to visit them for Christmas and on the way home I was trying to think of a song that could be sung to an audience at the end of a show as an encore and that was always the intention of what I thought that it would be used for. And every act needs a number like that. Well, that's what I thought and I thought, well, you're not an audience, we're family now.
7: say hello and sit a spell how you been are you doing well let's talk of the ties that bind and all the things we've left behind i wouldn't trade the world or treasures i might find for my family Here we are Alone at last Hold on tight Don't let the moment pass We have such a short time here And time never stops I fear Though I drop everything to hear From family City lights and party nights are all so exciting but all the bright life can't match your warm heart inviting or the thrill delighting you so here we are for a little Sharing jokes and simple smiles Till time brings a long sigh I wish you well and then goodbye
0: Tim Draxel and Family. Uh, You um, arranged uh, and uh,
1: accompanied Tim quite a bit in his early cabaret career. I did. Les Solomon. Wow, that that name came back too. He had picked up Tim and um, luckily I I got to be his first musical director and um, did his album for Sony. Les was his manager. Les was his manager. And um, we also went to New York and did the cabaret convention there. And that's when I realized that Lamont needed to do it. And so we managed to, to go the next year, I think it was. Because everybody else was just standing up and singing and not doing anything. And I knew that if she ever had a chance, for, or they had a chance to hear, that it would be a hit. And it was. It just, it was, she brought the house down.
0: Now, was that, was that around September 11, 2001?
1: It was only two weeks or three weeks after. Yeah, you know. yeah. So we were worried about whether or not we would actually go, but we decided, yes, we're going. And um, She speaks about that in episode one. Oh, episode, episode one? one? <laughs>
0: Stages, which is available in the archives. Uh, gee, we miss you. What, what's brought about the end of your Australian adventure? How did that feel? Ooh, do I tell
1: that story? Um, you don't have to. Well, I... I just don't remember the names. We'll have to figure out what... Lamond was up for a role. Oh, yes, I know. This is the Full Monty. Yes. Yes. And got cast. I played for her audition, knowing that if she got the role, I was out of a job. Yeah, because you were regularly playing for her, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, we were managing on, on the shows that we were doing and touring. Well, she got the gig. And I knew that the odd cabaret that I was doing with other people was not going to pay the rent. And so I knew I was going to have to move back to the States. And so I made all of those plans and sold up stuff and got ready to move and then full folded. But I was already committed to leave by that point. So you had to go. So I I left and... um, I did it kind of reluctantly because I love Australia. Yeah. Well, you're an Australian... Resident. I am. Go figure that they let me in. Citizen, not... resident citizen. citizen, yeah. Yeah. And Lucy Turnbull gave me my diploma or whatever you call that, certificate. <laughs> certificate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't graduate from anything.
0: It's my certificate. my certificate. Well, harking back to the opening of the show, I'm delighted that you said yes to this conversation. Oh, thank you. Have you had fun?
1: Oh, Brilliant. It's great to see your face again, It's great to see you, you,
0: um, after so long. But I I know you'll be back, so we'll catch up again. um, Don't tease. I'll (laughs) I'll have to visit Kentucky. (laughs) Ain't nobody stopping you, as they say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, we should point out, too, that all of the music that we've listened to today is available from your website, com. So um, thank you for making all that available. Um, I highly encourage... Uh, all of our listeners to uh, seek a little bit of everything. Yeah, that's great. So something for everyone. There you go. Wasn't that terrific? Always something new to learn on Stages. If you enjoyed this conversation, you're bound to enjoy many more from the Stages archive. You'll find conversations with Tony Lamont, Geraldine Turner and Andrew McFarlane, just to name a few, all with fascinating tales across all stages. Find the podcast on Wooshka or in iTunes or Spotify. Don't forget to subscribe so that you may receive each new episode as it drops. And takes the time to write and review the podcast, please. It helps us reach a broader audience and share these great conversations. I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to Stages.